The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to The Waking Dream, a poppychuloradio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we will be having an in-depth discussion on Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my co-host, Priscilla Obregon. Hey, everybody. And normally, I would welcome my second co-host, but unfortunately... The sleeping sickness has gotten Jeff, and he will not be joining us this week. I'm kidding. He's totally fine, but he's just not able to join us tonight. But, you know, immersion. (laughs) So (laughs) let's jump into our discussion, Priscilla, of Season 1, Episode 6, which was titled The Sound of Her Wings and debuted on August 5th, 2022 via Netflix. Here is the official synopsis. Feeling a bit rudderless. Morpheus shadows his hardworking big sister who offers him advice and encourages him to reconnect with an old acquaintance. So as we left our friend Dream last time, he'd gotten all of his tools back. He met with John D, put him to sleep. The triumvirate is complete. He's got all of his power back. Technically, though, the ruby was destroyed, so he's got the two tools and he got his power from the ruby back. Dream is feeling a little bit lost. We start the episode, he's sitting on a park bench and feeding pigeons with a loaf of bread. Priscilla, I don't know about you, but it was a little weird to see Dream just, like, holding a loaf of bread. He looks so out, like, so out of place. There's people in the park with shorts on, just playing soccer, and here's this goth twink throwing (laughs) bread. Yes, it was so out of character and just so mundane, and I, I... like when I'm remembering it, I'm like the loaf of bread just feels like it was 20 times larger than it needed to be. I just pictured he like went and grabbed like a baguette somewhere. <laughs> so our friend is a little bit kind of mopey, you know, I mean, goes with being a goth twink, you know, but uh, he's chilling on this park bench on a bright sunny afternoon and a woman approaches him. And at first glance, she just looks like any other person walking around the park and she sits next to him and she turns to him and asks him how he is feeling because he's very clearly moping. And Dream recaps his journey. He's got all of his tools and his power back, more power than he has ever had in millions of years. And suddenly he finds himself without purpose. He had this quest, this vengeance, this desire to succeed and get what was lost back. And now that he's got it, he still feels as empty as when he returned to his palace. This woman stands up and proceeds to re-dream to filth. I mean, not exactly filth, but she tells him like it is. Giving him the right act for admitting defeat when he could just find something new to live for, to drive him. And 
she's busy. She's got some things going on. Now, if anyone hadn't picked it up by now, we have now been introduced to another one of the Endless. One of Dream's siblings. And the sister-brother act is very evident, very clear. And she points out, look, I can't stay. I'm busy. I've got to go about my work. But you are welcome to come along with me. And they're walking through a market and catching up on family drama. And Dream makes a very pointed remark, which kind of backward foreshadows to the last episode we met at the very end. And he says, Desire was most likely overjoyed with me being gone as long as I was. And they end up outside a nice apartment building. They go inside. There's an elderly man who's playing a classical piece on his violin. Dream sister gently approaches the man and tells him that it is time to go. And in that moment, we know for a fact that this is death. All right. I want to do our first stopping here. I want to kind of talk and see. Priscilla, were you as excited as I was to finally meet Death? More so. Death is my favorite character in the series. I love her. I thought she was like a little like breath of fresh air. She's like, she's the most human of the endless. So, and her speech bubbles are normal. So it shows she's she sees herself kind of like people. And... She's just so bright for being death. Like, you expect someone to be just as goth and just as, like, miserable with life as, like, one of the other people of the Endless. Um, despair. But, um, no. She's friendly. She's nice. And she's not cloying. I love that about her. And I will say, if this episode is anything, like, there have been YouTube videos showing how shot for shot frame for frame that talk on a park bench is almost identical to the comic book um script so it was just beautiful i loved it and i i loved that during the the talk during the um during the walk to the old man's house they mentioned uh, desire, but they also mention destruction, and that's probably going to play into another episode in the future. If not in this season, the next season. So I am definitely looking forward to that. That destruction, for those of you who don't know, is um the sibling that is the other sibling that's not there at the time because he quit his one. job. Yeah, he quit his job, and yeah. it uh. seems that that's what. Dream wants to do since he's rudderless. He doesn't have like any panache or desire to be the king of dreams or to do anything. Like he was so focused on revenge that like now he's got nothing. That now that he's completed his tasks, what does he have left for? And I love that that death is like, well, find another game, do something else, or like. If later on in the series you find out she's she's like, or fulfill your role, because that's what we're meant to do. And she kind of is showing him that by going through her day. And this with this first death at, with, uh, with the old man, like, it was beautiful how they showed a song that, a piece of a song that they had heard before. And he's like, e- even though he's old, and we would expect that he would welcome death with open arms. He's still like, no, I've got so much more to do. Like, could you give me a chance? 
And Death is like, nope, it's your time. And she gives him a friendly hand, and the camera pans away, which made me a little sad, but, like, of course, no one's going to see the mysteries of death. And you see, like, in the background, the shadow of wings, and then, like, a rustle of feathers, and then nothing. And then she comes out of the the room and is like, okay, shall we go on? And, ah, it's beautiful. Yeah, the the park bench conversation and, you know, when she's like, you are the most miserable excuse for an anthropomorphic personification. Oh, 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 I I just in those moments, I I didn't see the difference in what she was like in the comics and the actress that they chose for her. Like it it was such an amazing job. Yeah, I, I will say, like, I didn't hear any rumblings in the in in the Internet of people being terrible, being like oh, this is colorblind acting, and this is, like, not cool. They should have gotten someone that looks like the pale goth um, death that we have in the comics. But I like this interpretation. I like the fact that her hair is just, like, this big, natural, like, bounce of curls. And it's it, it, it's like the the big mane that she has in the comics, but just not straight. And it's, it's great. And... My God, this this actress—I don't know her name—but she is gorgeous. She looks like a, a a deity. So yeah, yeah, I I love the actress, and she just brought death to life just as exactly as she was in the comics. Like the character, the mannerisms, the everything was absolutely wonderful, and just the journey that they go on. You know, after they've met, um, they do walk into this apartment building, and she approaches the old man. There's a beautiful little interaction between death doing her job with this old man who realizes who she is that it's time to go he asks her if he can say something before he goes and she gives him time to say his prayer and then exactly as priscilla described we we don't get to see death reveal her wings we get the very subtle shadow and impersonation and it's done and they move on and we get to see just the brother and sister walking together, talking about things and, you know, just reconnecting. And Death explains to her that she was the one that Roderick was looking for all of those years ago. And she says that she knows. They go to a lake and they're standing there and there's a very nice moment where she's trying to get Dream to take off his Doc Martens because she takes hers off so they can walk in the ground and earth together. And there's a man that is looking a little bit confused and death helps him realize that he just drowned and she's there to take him away. And so we get to once again, get the impression of the wings and the shadow as death takes another soul on the journey to the sunless lands, as they call what comes after. And the day just continues with dream watching his sister peacefully helping souls move on to the afterlife Lady Death, she is just not alone in her role as someone who has the last part of a human's life before they make the journey to the hereafter. She is a smile. I believe, what was it she said, Priscilla? Like, all that they want is a friendly face and a smile at the end? They want, didn't you say a warm hand or something? Like a hand? I, I think, yeah, okay. Yeah, like a warm hand and a friendly smile, just like when they begin their life. And we get this polar opposite from what dream is experiencing with, you know, this like no purpose, this and that it's very alone and death finds joy in her work. And she really enjoys being able to help these souls because she did have times when she struggled, but she got to understand that their purpose is their function. And she's realized that, but dream is obviously having a hard time, but she's having him follow her 
And she reminds Dream that the whole family, they are in a symbiotic relationship with humans. And we get to see her take some, you know, very, very interesting souls are not interesting in the way of like spectrum wise we've got old we've got young we've got middle-aged we see her help a baby you know the mother walks into the other room and dream and death walk in and she tells the little one it's time to go and picks him up takes him into the other room and then her and dream walk out we have an older lady in a living facility for hospice and we get to see the beauty in the way that death does her job and the comfort that she provides. Uh, we also, I believe, we get to see someone who OD'd. And it's a very subtle interaction between death and dream. This is a very m- scaled-down episode as far as big events happening, big CGI and things like that. Priscilla, what did you think about the way that they handled all of this, that it was a more kind of quiet episode as far as scale goes? What did you think? Well, I'm close to, like, newlywed, so when I saw the the couple in the sea die, I, like, not the couple, just the man, but when I saw him die, I was like, oh, my God, this, is, this, this episode is going to break me, and when the baby died, oh, my God, I cried. I was like, no, right. don't take him. <laughs> oh, it was terrible, but, like, it's, it, it's, true to life that is what death does like death comes for everyone young old sick healthy they all like everybody's got to go at some point and she mentioned it like the quote that like stays in my head is like i was there at the beginning and i'll be there when the universe like ends i'll i'll just um turn off the lights put the chairs up and shut the door behind me and lock it before I go. And I was like, oh, that's such a good, like, quote from the you college. You just gave me Yeah. Oh, such a good quote. And it's just, I think one of the things about death is, you know, I know before I read the comics and I saw her, you know, you get this impression of what you think she's going to be like based on her appearance. And what I like about the show I look at myself and I say, like, you know, if I was someone coming in that didn't know anything, like, you know, how Jeff is, he hasn't experienced this, he hasn't read the comics, and so this is a brand new journey. It's such a great and disarming experience, the way that death is portrayed in the series, both comic and on screen. You know, she's happy-go-lucky, she accepts her lot happily, and at the same time, it doesn't trivialize in any way what she does. You know, she actually helps Dream understand that you don't always have to have a quest. You don't always have to have a reason for doing something when your reason is what you do. And I really, really enjoyed the simplicity of their interaction because it was true to the comic. And more importantly, it was what Dream needed as a character to advance himself to whatever journey comes next. To have a sibling who truly can understand what he's talking about because before now he's only had humans or other weirdly powerful ethereal beings but now he's actually interacting with someone who is a compatriot you know different office different responsibility but same personification of a concept dream death and the camaraderie and and the closeness it really really came across very very clearly and it was very powerful Unfortunately, though, we don't get to spend the entire episode with Death. She does have to move on and do other things. So 
they they do have to part ways and they're talking about an appointment that death had and she brings this up and he's like well i missed the last one uh but you know maybe it is time i stopped in and saw good old hob and we get a little bit of a flashback dream walks away from death she goes her separate ways they have one last parting look she gives him some parting words and Dream goes to a dilapidated area of town where there are some Tudor-style buildings that are housed behind a fence. And we get a little bit of the backstory oh. of Hob Goodley. And the backstory is that hundreds of years ago, Dream and Death did walk into this pub. They were there to have another one of Death's lessons and have Dream listen to humans and talk to amongst themselves about what they witness and what's going on. And they hear a gentleman talk about how he has no plans of dying. He thinks that death is stupid. He has no intention of doing it. And that inclines death and dream to hatch a little wager. And death says, well, what if I give him what he wants? Dream's interest is piqued and he walks over and he has a conversation with Hob and tells him with very minimal exposition about who he is he doesn't in fact he doesn't tell him who he is he just says that if that is your intention i will meet you here in 100 years and now begins a cycle of some moving forward flash forwards we see from 1489 to 1589 dream arrives back at the bar and finds hob who is now the knighted sir robert gadling he is rich in wealth and love since he has a wife and a newborn now. They commiserate, catch up a little bit. Clearly he's doing well for himself. And Dream leaves his friend at the table full of food. So let's take a moment here, Priscilla. What did we think of the introduction of Hob, the tavern, the wager, this will person? I gotta say, Netflix, you guys, when you put in the money, you put it in hard. Because those outfits were banging. I loved the what is it not renaissance but like old dark ages like the outfits that they had and the mead cups like it just it was so old-timey good like i loved it they don't look like they're in a renaissance fair they look like they're from the past and you're getting a sneak peek of what it was like and when i heard hob start um bragging that like i'm just not i'm just gonna avoid death i'm just gonna ignore death I was like, ooh, this is going to get good. And a part of me wanted Death to talk to him just because, like, I'd want to see what she would have to say to him in response to that. But it's Dream's show, and it's Dream who needs to be humanized. So she lets him talk to him. And him being like, I'll see you here in 100 years. I'm like, oh, here's the start of a beautiful friendship. And he's not even going to know it. This is this is great. And <laughs> he makes him immortal. And later when he, he comes back and he's like, it, I, it can only go up from here. I'm like, oh, you just cursed yourself. Because the, the fates like anything. It is challenging people who say it can only get better or it can only get worse. If you say it can only get worse, it'll get worse. If you say it can only get better, it's going to get worse. 
<laughs> right? Like, yeah, I had honestly forgotten about Hob until he was introduced in this episode, and I loved the way that they built it up. And I, I almost did want Death to be the one that walked over and have a conversation with him. But it, it, it you're right. It is Dream's story. It is Dream's journey. And so this was the beginning of a very interesting relationship. And it is, they did. The environment was very immersive and accurate. Like it didn't feel hokey. It didn't feel cheesy. Like the, the outfits, the costumes, like it just, everything in general was really, really awesome. So like we started off the beginning of the episode with this very simplistic journey with dream and death. And now we get this full on like travel through time every 100 years. And this continues as we end up in 1689. And Dream is waiting for Hob. Hob now comes in. He lost his land. He lost his wealth over the past years. And his wife died in childbirth. His son died in, when he was 20. And this is kind of what Death and Dream talked about. Because part of their wager was like, after a while, someone's eventually going to say, I don't want to live anymore. Kill me, please. But... Hob defies the expectation. Like he still wants to live because he says he has so much to live for. He he's not ready to die. He does not want to give up. And so now, one hundred years later, seventeen eighty nine, Hob explains to Dream how you know there's revolution coming after the colonies and France revolted, and they're talking about slavery. Uh, or I think that's actually yeah. Um, you know they're talking about the colonies. They're talking about slavery. They're talking about things and. They are observed, and there is someone drawing a picture, and this picture does come back to haunt us in another, you know, little bit of time. But Hob brings up King Lear, and it is revealed that the man that a couple hundred years ago, 1689, 100 years ago, that Dream walked off to talk to in secret was actually to become known as William Shakespeare. And... Hob points out that King Lear was played, and he wants to know, did Dream make a deal all those years ago with Shakespeare? And Dream kind of hints and confesses a little bit that he did, but uh, a cloaked woman makes her presence known. Our gentlemen friends have been observed over their years, and this woman wants something. And the two men come in, and the lady introduces herself as none other than Lady Johanna Constantine. She has heard tales of the devil and the wandering Jew, meaning every hundred years to make deals and give gifts, and she wants in. An interesting confrontation happens as they're like, no, we're not going to do what you want. And Dream just very calmly sits there as... Hob stands up, engages the two men, and then has a knife drawn on his throat by Lady Joanna. And Dream stands up, blows some sand, and Joanna falls asleep. And Dream comments, you know, you didn't have to protect me. But Dream is obviously a little bit befuddled. He didn't expect Hob to, refer to come to his defense. And clearly, Hob indicates, well, you know, it's, you know, we have history, you know. That's what friends are for. And an interesting exchange. And now we go forward to 1889. Hob has even more comfortable living. And it had just begun back in 1789. He's doing really well for himself. He says that he has learned from his mistakes. He still wants to live. He keeps making mistakes. He learns from them. But he also makes an observation that Dream has also 
possibly changed in the 500 years they have been meeting. Dream is curious but guarded and asks him, oh, and how have I changed? And Hobb points out that he believes Dream is not just anymore having these meetings out of whatever reason, the wager, whatever. He believes that Dream is actually lonely. And <gasps> he has the audacity to say that. He tells Dream, I think you're lonely and you need a friend. Dream is very offended. He's very shook. And in his shookethness, he says, you know what? How dare you presume? And he storms away into the night. Hob follows him and says, I'll tell you what, in a hundred years, I will be here. And if we are here meeting again, then we will be meeting as friends. Well, this was 1889. And we know that in the 1980s, our friend Dream was otherwise engaged. What did we think of the journey of all these meetings, Priscilla? How'd you like them? <laughs> I loved that they mentioned the slaves and how, like, if you would impart, like, free will on yourself, why wouldn't you impart that on others around you? I thought that was beautiful. I also thought that the next uh, the next part, like, I love Joanna Constantine in the comics. This is just a saying that you'll see her again later. And he mentions it later on that, that she does a favor for him, for, for Dream. So... I love Joanna Constantine in the comics, and a part of me wished that it would have been two different people. It would have been John Constantine in the beginning, so we could get Matt Ryan, and Joanna Constantine, so we can get Jenna Coleman, so we could get both of them. But that's greedy. So the next best thing is getting Jenna Coleman to come back again because she's just epic, and it would show a family resemblance. So... I liked her, and I liked that she's like, I came to 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 get the same deal that apparently the Wandering Jew has in this picture. And I was like, she's so crafty and wily, and that's exactly what she's supposed to be like. Constantines are supposed to be crafty and wily and good against um divine creatures. But she's not better than an endless, since even throughout all of this chaos and her getting the upper hand on Hob, it doesn't matter because the whole time Morpheus had the upper hand with his sand, he could always entrap them in dreams. So it never mattered to him. And when he meets the neck in the next hundred years and insinuates their friends and Morpheus is like, friends me with a little worm like you i'm like oh my god you fucking drama queen you're worse than drag queens <laughs> what the hell oh <sighs> yeah i i really enjoyed the dynamic with these two and i was curious you know when i remembered like when he first showed up and hob kind of appeared i started to remember their relationship and i was like is this going to be just like the beginning and this is going to spill over into other episodes or is it going to all be in one? And of course it ended up all being in the one episode, you know, their journey together. And I thought it was really, really well done. You know, it wasn't so fast that we didn't get a chance to attach ourselves to Hob and to be invested in the journey of them together. And like, I agree. Like when, when dream was like, how dare you? I was like, you pretentious dick. Like, 
you're just afraid to admit that you really do want a friend. And I felt it. Like, I felt the accuracy of what Hobb was saying, even though Dream wasn't admitting it. Like, you could tell that Dream was offended because it was true. And he was, at the same time, like, insulted because that meant weakness to him. Because this is Dream before his humanizing journey. And just that last moment when, you know, he storms out in the night and Hobb does that heartfelt, we will meet as friends if you're here in 100 years, like, that really hit the heartstrings. Like, it's definitely, like, they're both invested in this. Even though only one of them wanted to admit it, they are both invested in this relationship, this friendship. And I think it's really important for the both of them. I feel that Hobb probably would not have survived and been willing to live as long as he has if he didn't have the goal of meeting his friend every hundred years. He probably would have given up or he would have become someone completely different, I think. And I agree on Johanna. I think it was nice if we couldn't get Matt Ryan to be the ancestor to have her there. I thought that was a really nice little callback. Um, and the reference to the favor later was very clever. I liked that as well. And uh, their relationship continues, sort of, because 100 years passes. 1989, Robert Gadling is now very much looking like he walked off the set of Miami Vice in his little, like, uh, Miata, if I think that was what it was. And... Uh, he shows up and he is waiting for Dream to show up, hoping that now that it's been another hundred years. But as we all know, Dream has been captured by Burgess and he is chilling in his orb down in Burgess's basement. And so Hob decides to camp out and wait, but to no avail, Dream never shows up. Hob talks to the bartender about his friendship and how they fought the last time that we were here. And he believes it was really his fault that he hurt his friend. And the bartender explains... They will just have to find a new pub if they are going to have future meetings because this one is being closed for new apartments that are going to be built. Hob is devastated. He's heartbroken because the one standard in all these hundreds of years was this pub, this meeting place. And after last time, if the pub's gone, how will Dream know if he shows up, where to go, if he ever does come back? And Hob is clearly impacted by this and upset. And that is where we leave Hob. And now we find ourselves back in the modern day, and Dream is still standing outside where he was before that led into this story with Hob, the dilapidated Tudor pub, and there's a fence, and it's very hopeless and sad, but Dream then notices a sign, on graffiti on the fence, and it says, new pub, this way. And Dream follows the arrow, he walks across a field, he walks up to this very, very posh and modern-looking tavern. He walks inside, and or sorry, as he walks into this tavern, which is nothing like the the White Horse Tavern, which was the one that they went to back in the olden days. There's a moment where we see Hob furiously scribbling and writing, and he looks up. They lock eyes, and there are smiles all around as Dream walks up and says, "My apologies. It is so rude to leave one's friend waiting." And they sit down and prepare to have a lovely conversation, which we are not privy to. But the missed appointment is no longer missed. Dream is acknowledging the friendship. Hob has his friend back and all is well in the world. But not really, because we get a very brief return to our friend Desire. We get to see that Desire basically lives inside a giant version of themselves. And... Desire is calling out and discussing how Big Brother is out of his cage, but that's okay because they still have a plan. 
Bum, bum, bum. Breadcrumbs, bad things to come. Priscilla, what did you think of this wrap-up, and what do you think of uh, Desire's malevolent machinations to come? First of all, I just have to say, Desire is perfect. That realm is perfect. Like, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring the way Hell was awe-inspiring, the way Sandman's... Um, realm his castle before it was destroyed and damaged was awe-inspiring like all of these are just like beautiful fragments of just this world that neil gaiman created that's just so imaginative and i don't know just real even though it's fantastical like it just it feels like if we had the personification of desire of course they would be loving themselves and living in a place that looks like themselves in a giant heart like like some magical girl like it's just it, it makes sense like oh i just it's and he's a little shit they are a little shitster and i'm hoping that we get to see more about desire and as for hob and morpheus ha i knew that they were friends i knew it and the fact that hob is like that he's like I got stood up. If it's it's more it's less than their friends, more like their lovers. Even though right. it's totally not how it works. But they got a bromance going on. A bromance, yes, that's exactly what it is. And when he buys the new tavern, and he's probably the one that spray painted it ages ago. New tavern here, so I I I don't know. I just I loved it. I I thought that. Sandman Morpheus finally decides to humanize himself a little bit more. And you can kind of tell that that was what was going to happen when he was... At, this is just a throwaway moment, but it's one of my favorite moments. When he was walking to um, to the tavern in... what is it 2089 now? But um, when he's walking to the tavern and he smiles at a guy and the guy's like, What a freak! And walks away! <laughs> I loved that. And I was like, he's yes. reaching for a friend. Oh, yeah, that, that was great. I, you know, the thing about this episode and, and the way that they wrapped it up, not the desire part, but just the end with Hob, it was this episode was very simplistic. Even though we had some set pieces and costumes and time travel, this was all about finding oneself and finding friendship, belonging. And it was the great way to end the episode that, Death debuted and Red Dream, the riot act of family and purpose and simplicity of not needing a complicated thing to drive you with the acknowledgement of friendship and accepting the friendship and the relation with Hob. It was very, very quaint and like heartwarming. It was almost like the Sandman equivalent of a Hallmark movie, except I would never say the Sandman is a Hallmark movie. <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that they did a fantastic job with, with all of this, and I'm really excited to see where Desire is going. I mean, we have ideas from the comics, but I agree. The casting for them is absolutely spot on, and the makeup, the 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 place that they live in, like, they do such great set pieces, and they're not stupid looking. We've had maybe some minor wonky CGI in past episodes, but in this in particular, like when they panned in at first, I thought it was Desire, and then you realize that it's Desire's palace. I was like, holy shit! Like, of course she would live. They would live in themselves. And yeah, I, I thought it was really, really phenomenal, and I'm excited to see 
where this new dream goes in the episodes to come. So that's in the future. But for now, Priscilla, is there anything that I missed or anything that you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Yeah, just a hint that um, during one of the talks, I don't remember which one, uh, they mentioned that Hob isn't the only one that has um, immortality that um, death and dream have given the immortality to. Are they talking about Orpheus? You know, I wonder the same thing, and I, I really kind of hope that they are. Mm, okay. But that I didn't dive through to, like, I didn't deep dive on the internet to see if there's any concrete proof if they did, but I'd be curious to see if that is who they are referencing. Mm. All right. I will admit that part of me is dreading what comes next because I'm going to be nice and let you go first. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> It is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely, even though I think we know who you're going to choose. But you are up, my dear. Yeah, you knew. I I mentioned that she was my favorite in the comics, and she's my favorite in the series, too. It's death. Death is just this bright light, and... It, she's what I feel like in old fairy tales when they mention Peter Pan and they say that he wa- that he flies children to the afterlife together so that they have like a hand to hold. Like that's exactly what I felt like that death was an, a friendly hand to hold before they go to the the Summerlands and I just I'm amazed by her by the fact that. She was there to wish an old man goodbye. She was there to wish someone who got shot in an alley goodbye. She was there to get the person who overdosed, to the baby, to the man. And with all of them, she met them with a smile. And for all of those who... We didn't mention this in the episode, but... um when she talked to the soccer player and the soccer player, she's like, I'll see you again later. I was like, Ooh, you're going to die soon. And when he's like, I just missed the car. I'm like, no, you didn't, sir. You're going to have to go look at your death, your dead body. Cause you did. <laughs> yeah. I love how she's like, I want to show you something. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just, it's awesome. Like you can tell that she's, endless because even though like there was attraction from the cute soccer player like she she acted like he's like a puppy to her like he's something else entirely that she can't really like coincide with in that way romantically she's just kind of like oh you're a friend yep yep so like thank you for flying death airways i hope you enjoy your trip to the sunless lands (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Death would have been my number one, but I, you know, I, I knew that you would do her justice. All right. So, who are you going to pick? You know, I, I've been back and forth. I mean, there's limited, there's limited people you can choose. But uh, no, I'm going to give it to my man, Hob. You know, Hob was a very, very kind of like, when I read the comics, like, I don't remember too much about the specifics, but like, I didn't necessarily connect with him as a character in the comics, but in the show, I definitely did. We got to see this journey of someone going through hundreds of hundreds of years, and he really sold it, and the changes from generation to generation. Um, 
you know, when we start with him and he's just this normal everyday mundane man in a pub and then we see him suddenly have riches and wealth and then falling into bad graces and bad luck and then pulling it back. And we really did see the journey of someone feeling the gravity of a hundred plus years of experience every time that we met with him. But the reason that I think he is the MVP for me and a great solid choice is because he is a continuation of Dream opening his heart, Dream becoming more vulnerable and by doing that, Dream is beginning to understand humans much, much more. And Hob served as a very wonderful bookend to the conversation that was begun with Dream and Death in the beginning of the episode and that first journey. And he was the perfect culmination, as I mentioned before, to kind of cap out this episode in the way that it went. So he is my MVP, and I am okay with that. So now let's talk about the episode, because it is time to rate it. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Dreamhelms? The point system, of course, is always allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Dreamhelm that is gold, a.k.a. the Golden Dreamhelm. All right. What are you giving me, Priscilla? Oh, I've been the easy grader for the longest time, and I'm going to be the easy grader again because it had my favorite character in the comics. It went from showing death in all of her arrays of of power to showing one of the cutest like scenes with Hob and the fact that death has a friend. And it if the last episode was a bottle episode and was entertaining this one went all throughout england and then all throughout the world like like through time i should say not throughout the world but through time and we got to see desires like abode and this is just a beautiful episode so definitely a golden you know i i'm gonna be easy too and it is absolutely golden for me you know for a lot of the same reasons that you said you know i I've never been one to, like, judge something based only on, like, the casting. But I will say that I held the Sandman comics, like, very dear to my heart. And I was always wondering, like, when they do death, oh, my God. Like, she's got such a high bar to live up to. They'll never live up to it. They might get close. Not only did she live up to it, she excelled. And she really became that character and brought such tone and such gravity and such wonder to the role. And it was literally, like, walking off the page of the comic book onto the screen and the episode itself this episode is a masterpiece this was coming off of multiple story arcs a couple of different villains and battles in hell and dream and his journey from being you know imprisoned and getting his vengeance and where do you go from there right like we know obviously from the comics there are plenty of ways they could have gone but when you're telling a narrative and you're trying to translate that narrative into the television medium, you know, there are corners that you have to cross and stories you have to cut, characters that you have to combine. And I always find one of the biggest challenges is when you're transferring something that is this massive into 10 episodes, how is that going to work? And is it going, you know, they have to make the narrative decision. Okay, well, we just got past this mage of big bad with John D and do we want to dive into the next one? Do we want to do something else? This worked. It was the perfect time for Death to have that conversation with Dream. It was the perfect time for Hob. It was really kind of like a breath of fresh air from all of the various high stakes things that we had in the previous episode. And walking away from it, I know I'm going to watch it again. I've already watched it twice. I know I will go back and watch it, not only because it's one of my favorite stories from the comics, but because it was done so well. 
So that is two golden dream helms all the way to dreamland and back. We might have to hit Costco up again to get some more dream helms. I'm sure they have more waiting for us. Of course. We can always ask Dream now that he's got his back. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So on that note, we have reached the end of this journey together. Join us next time for a brand new installment of The Waking Dream. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. Priscilla, please wish the listeners a good night. You know where the new tavern is. Go get yourself a nice cup of ale. Bye. Good night, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you're so inclined, you can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com backslash archives. Good night.